everyone and welcome back to another episode of Crime, Tea and Me. I'm your host, Charlotte. Here on Crime, Tea and Me, I sit down with a nice copper and sometimes some biscuits and talk about all things crime. From murders to bank robbers and everything in between. So grab yourself a nice copper and come and join me. This week's episode, we are going to be looking at the case of Mick and Maraid Philpott. They are a couple from Derby and sadly their six children all died in a house fire. I remember this being on the news and I just, I couldn't believe it. I just thought like what's happened to that house? Like was it, you know, like electrical or, you know, did someone do it? What happened? And I just, I felt so bad for them. But when you look a little bit closer, nothing ever was as it sort of seemed in the Philpott household. And we're going to look into that today. On May the 11th in 2012, at around about half three in the morning, Jamie and Darren Butler were in their home on Victory Road in Derby. Jamie was hearing really weird noises outside. So he went to the window and saw that his neighbour Mick's house was on fire. He yelled for his brother. They ran downstairs and ran over to Mick's house to try and see if they could help. Mick was in the back garden and Jamie and Darren ended up having to climb over the caravan that was in the driveway to get into the back of the house. The fire was right at the front. It was where the front door was, which led into the steps which led upstairs. Jamie and Darren climbed over the caravan and found Mick on the phone to 999 and he was crying. Jamie tried to climb up the ladder into the back bedroom and was trying to get the kids but the smoke was too much for him. So he tried to get in another way which was over the conservatory but that was exactly the same. The smoke got too much for him and he had to stop. The fire brigade arrived about four minutes later and as I said before, they found that the door, the hall and the stairs were all on fire and there was no real way to escape at the front for anyone that was inside. The fire brigade managed to get in and the first person that they found was the Philpott's daughter, Jade. She was found in the first bedroom upstairs. She had her own bedroom. Jade was their only daughter All of the rest of their children were boys, so she obviously had her own room. They managed to get Jade out, and then they went looking for the rest of her brothers. The fire was put out, and all of the children were rushed into Derby Royal Infirmary, which is the the hospital there. And sadly, Jade and four of her brothers died at the hospital. Maraid was very shocked when her family got there, obviously, you know, you're not going to know what to do, like, that must have been, like, such a horrible feeling, just sitting there and feeling so unable to do anything for your children, and Maraid's sister commented that Mick was just normal, he was, you know, talking to people, having a laugh and a joke with people, and this could be put down to shock, basically, like, you don't know how you're going to act if something like this happens. Their older son, Dwayne, he was fighting for his life, pretty much. He was taken to Birmingham Children's Hospital, which is a very big specialist hospital. And he was kept there for a few days to, you know, try and help him and keep him alive. 
the police went to the house and declared that it was a crime scene and they thought what had happened was that someone had poured petrol into the house through the letterbox. Now Mick had an ex-partner called Lisa and the police pulled her in for questioning but she was later cleared of charges and sadly two days after the fire Dwayne who was in Birmingham Children's Hospital, died from his injuries. A couple of days after the fire, Mick and Maraid held a press conference in Derby. He didn't notify the police first, he just called this press conference and then spoke to the police about it. They were in a side room with one of the police officers and then came out, sat down and he started to thank his older children for being there for them. He thanked the fire brigade, police, ambulances and doctors all for trying to save their children. But the police noticed that they didn't really seem to act like other grieving parents that they'd been with. They made absolutely no appeal for information about if anyone knew what happened or asking people to find out who had did this to their children nothing and if you watch it really closely you can watch the footage on youtube you can watch the whole like press conference constantly mick is he's got a tissue in his hand and he's he's constantly wiping his eye and maraid is sat next to him but she's like slouched down covering her face or she's like slouched down but like her face is buried in mick's arm and it's just really weird because none of them, well, neither of them, should I say, look as if they're actually crying. And Mick was crying, well, I, I say I use very loosely crying. He wasn't crying at all. He was just wiping his eyes. And for anyone that's have had that, like, unbelievable moment of, like, you can't stop crying and you're trying to talk to someone, like, your voice it changes like you can't talk when you're crying you can't talk properly but if you watch the footage on youtube you can see that he is he's talking completely normally and then wipes his eye really dramatically and then goes back to talking completely normally like i don't know about you but i like when i cry i like i ugly cry like yeah I'm, yeah it's horrible but if you know what i'm on about like you know how hard it is to like string a sentence together and none of that was happening with him. And it really caused alarm bells with the police. And they were thinking, like, you can, like, he's, he's clearly not crying. Like, why isn't he crying? Why isn't he asking for, like, help from the public, like, to see if anyone knows anything about what's happened to his children? And he wasn't doing any of that. Like, for me, that would have been the first thing that I would have said. Like, I would have sat down and gone, look, if anyone knows anything, just come forward. Like, you don't have to give your name if you're scared about that. Just please tell me who did this to my kids. After the press conference, Mick and Maraid were taken back into the room that they were in before. And the police officer that was with them commented about the fact that as soon as the door was shut, they seemed to just be happy and laughy and jokey. And, yeah, like, that's that's ridiculous, like, absolutely ridiculous, like, who does that? Your kids have just died, like, don't have a laugh, don't have a joke. Your children have just died. Two weeks after this press conference, Mick and Maraid had been arrested. I want to take you back in time a little bit, and this is to 2007. 
and an English politician called Anne Widdicombe, who is very outspoken and has a lot of views about people on benefits. She ended up doing a TV show called Anne Widdicombe versus the Benefit Culture. So in England, the benefit culture is basically some people will believe that most people that are on benefits are doing it because they scrounge, because they want money handed to them on a plate. And Anne was going over to people's homes. She would talk to them, see what their life was like and basically try and get them into work. Anne visited Mick in his home. She went to his house, she spoke to him, and at this time he was living with his wife, Maraid, and his mistress, Lisa. Yeah, mistress. But when you watch the TV show, he actually calls Lisa his wife. So he says, this is my wife, Maraid, this is my wife, Lisa, and Anne says to him, how, how are they both your wife? Like, you know, that's illegal, like, bigamy is illegal in the United Kingdom. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know. He was like, well, I married Maraid, but, you know, I'll call Lisa my wife. So there isn't really, like, a difference between them. Like, they're both on the same sort of, like, peer sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't want to differentiate between the two of them, but he knows that he could only, like, marry one of them. So as well as Mick, Maraid and Lisa, between them, they also had nine children living with them. But altogether... Mick himself has got 18 children. So, <laughs> he had previously been in the papers for wanting Derby Council to basically give him a bigger home. I uh, I hate this, I really do. I, I oh, Some people won't like me for this, but my views on this are that if you have children, you know that you're going to have those children, so therefore, like save money or you know do something to enable you to be able to look after those children you nine children as far as i'm concerned not you can't have nine accidents one two maybe three do you know what yeah that's true i'm not saying that children are accidents i'm just saying if if they were you know not using protection things like that accidents can happen I don't think it can happen nine times. You know that you need to look after those nine children. If you're not earning enough, if you don't have a big enough house, don't have them. <sighs> okay, those are my views <laughs> out of my uh, out of my mouth. So Mick, Lisa and Maraid, between the three of them, were claiming around about £25,000 in benefits a year. And he basically wanted more. He also appeared on a TV show in the UK called Jeremy Kyle. Now, we don't have Jeremy Kyle anymore because of things that have happened. I won't go into it. But he was a morning talk show host who obviously had his own talk show. And he would invite people over. Obviously, anyone that's listening in the UK will know exactly who Jeremy Kyle is. And you, you, I think you'll know who he is in the US because I think I'm pretty sure he had a show over there as well. But he's pretty much like Moripovich or you know, Jerry Springer, things like that. He's pretty much like them. And Mick had appeared on the show and was basically saying that he was being un unfairly treated by the media because they had nicknamed him Shameless Mick. So pretty much, you know, comparing him to the guy from Shameless. So he didn't, he really did not like this. And 
all he was basically using this opportunity to do was to try and shame Derby Council into giving him a bigger home. He is not a nice man. He really isn't. He seems like a very selfish person. He is really out for himself. He'll do anything that he can to basically get his own way. He doesn't want to work for a living. He basically just wants the money handed to him on a plate. He wants to have a relationship with two women at the same time and have them both living with him. And Maraid seems to have this little bit of a pushover attitude if I'm being honest I mean I I live with my boyfriend and there is no way on this earth if he turned around to me and said Charlotte I have met this other girl and I want to move her in I'd be like okay then so where are you moving to like where are you and this girl moving to uh, bye like no you're not doing it no that's not how this works no <laughs> just no but Murray genuinely does feel like a bit of a pushover. And in the Anne Widdicombe programme, like, Mick made it, like, a big thing. Like, he would have a relationship with Lisa, have a, a relationship with Maraid, but, like, the three of them would never have a relationship or, you know, things like that. And I just... I just don't know how to describe how disgusting this man basically is. Oh, but I'm going to let him speak for himself, right? So he has once said, and this is a quote, I've got it here. He once says, and I'm I'm going to use foul language now, so I'm really sorry if there's like young viewers, like, yeah, I'm sorry. But he once said, you're born with a dick between your legs, not just to pee out of it. So I'm going to use it. I'm I'm just going to leave that there for a few minutes. Like, what kind of person says that? To me, he just seems like quite a violent, controlling person. And the reason I say that he is violent is because in 1978, when he was a teenager, he broke into an ex-girlfriend's house while she was sleeping. He went up to her bedroom and he stabbed her over and over and over again. Her mum rushed into the bedroom when she was hearing her daughter screaming to try and stop him and he stabbed her mum as well. He was arrested and was sent to prison for attempted murder. This is this is the kind of person that he is. Like, who, who, who does that? Once he got out of prison, he then had a relationship with a woman called Heather and he was very abusive to her as well. In 2000, she had enough and ended up leaving and she got custody of their two children. A few months later, Mick then met Maraid and she gave birth to their first child, Jade, in 2001. But by 2002, Mick had met Lisa and they started their relationship. Jealousy sort of started up between Maraid and Lisa and Lisa started to not want to be there. So from one of their like mutual friends, like Lisa would talk about Maraid behind her back and Maraid would do the same to Lisa. So it wasn't, to me, it didn't seem like a very harmonial sort of family life. Like I get that you can have like, you know, polyamorous relationships. I don't get that from these three. I just feel like Mick was a very, slash is, a very selfish person who wants his cake and wants to eat it too. 
Like, that's the kind of person that I think he is. So, one day, Lisa basically decided that she had enough. She told Maraid that she was taking the five children that were Lisa and Mix, and she was going to take them to the swimming baths, and they just never returned to the house. Mick was absolutely devastated. Everyone that knew him said that Mick was unbelievably in love with Lisa. And they also said that it was a possibility that he loved Lisa more than Maraid. And he actually confessed to one of his friends that he wishes that he never would have married Maraid because it sort of created like a difference between her and Lisa and he never should have like done that. Mick started to fight for custody of his and Lisa's children and he had said that he'd been threatened by someone saying that they were going to firebomb his house and this was basically him trying to discredit Lisa so that when they went to court he could get his kids back. The following week the house fire was was set. Mick put the plan together that basically he would set the fire and run out of the house he would climb up the ladder, save the children, and then the next day, which just happened to be his court date, he would show up, say that Lisa had set the fire, he got his kids out, so he'd look like this massive hero, and somehow he would get the kids back, and, you know, like, th- this, this was his plan, basically. It didn't work out like that. The fire was set, by the front door so it would look like someone had poured petrol through the letterbox which is exactly what the police first thought. Mick and Maraid told the police that they were downstairs in bed and that they heard the fire alarm. They ran out of the room and found that the fire was by the front door. They ran towards the back of the house to get out and the police looked into the house. Obviously after there's a fire there's always like a um, an investigation And the police looked into this. If they ran from the front of the house where the living room was to the back of the house and out into the garden, they would have had to have run past two fire extinguishers and the sink in the kitchen. Now, for me, if I knew that there was a fire and I knew I had a fire extinguisher, that would be my first bet. Right, let's grab the fire extinguisher. Let's try and do what we can. Can't do that. Right, grab some, you know, grab a bucket, grab some cups grab a bowl full of water just throw it on just try and defeat this fight if I can't do it then I can't do it but you know what I'm trying my hardest to try it's like what like I don't have kids I've got fur babies and if my house is on fire you can bet they would be the first things that I grab and they're my fur babies not not even like human babies like they they would genuinely be the first things that I would grab and if I couldn't get to them I would make damn sure I, I, I was trying to and I just I just don't feel like they did any of this. Sadly for the couple, they seem to have like completely missed fire safety class in school. They misjudged how quickly the fire would spread through the house. And it did. It got out of hand so quickly. And before they knew it, it was way too late for them to save their six children. Maraid called the fire brigade and Mick got the ladder and tried to save the kids. And Mick was constantly saying the kids are in the back bedroom, they're in the back bedroom. But this was totally wrong. The kids had gone to sleep in their own bedrooms. So they were spread out over three bedrooms. Jade was in hers, I think Dwayne was in his, and then the other four boys were in their own bedroom. 
And why he kept saying, like, they're in the back bedroom, I don't know. Maybe that was part of the plan. Maybe that was supposed to be something that they were meant to do, move the kids into the back bedroom. I don't know. But why he kept saying it, it's it's a bit of a mystery. In the days after the fire, the friends of the couple had noticed that they weren't really acting normal, or at least as normal as you can be when you've, like, lost your children. They weren't crying, they weren't, you know upset they just seemed to be having like a bit of a laugh and a joke when Dwayne was in Birmingham Children's Hospital Mick and Mairead went with him but they never actually went to his room and sat with him instead they sat in a room that was provided to them by the hospital and spent the entire time complaining about the fact that the hospital hadn't given them any food it's like what your your child is in that bedroom don't worry about having another room provided for you sleep on the floor of your kid's bedroom you stay with your child Dwayne's godmother also commented about the fact that she'd witnessed his parents having a food fight like who does that your child is dying in that bed and you two are being so immature and having a food fight like what who, seriously, who does that? They were also seen going into their local pub with cowboy hats on and joining into karaoke. What? These are not normal people. Like, even if... This is me going into, like, the head of, like, a murderer, I suppose. But it's like, do you know what? If if that had happened to me, I'd be thinking, right, I do not want to get sent down. It was an accident. I didn't mean to kill my children. Money was also raised for the children to pay for their funerals. And then Mick and Maraid were constantly seen in town buying themselves new clothes. Walking around showing their friends like brand new trainers and things like that that they'd just been bought. And like, who are these people? Like, I know I keep saying it, but this is ridiculous. The couple were also put up in a hotel. Because obviously, you know, they, they had nowhere to go. And because of their really strange behaviour, the police decided that they would put bugs in the hotel room. They found that one night, the couple had a friend called Paul Mosley come to the hotel. The three of them sat down and started talking about the night of the fire. And then Mick told Maraid to perform a sex act on Paul. I don't want people to know that I did that, so I'm going to act like a normal parent would and be totally devastated that my children have just died i'm not going to go to the pub and go to karaoke and have a food fight with my husband and i'm not going to do any of that i'm going to try and act like you would think a normal parent would act but no these two didn't do that when the couple were questioned by the police over what had happened on the night mick and Maraid told them their side of the story And then when the police went back and listened to the devices after the couple had got back to the hotel room, you can hear Mick saying to Maraid, like, what did you tell him? Did you stick to the story? Were you crying? When did you cry? Were you crying hard? Like, asking her all these questions about what she'd said to the police. And, it's yeah, he's just such a controlling person. And he just wanted to save his own skin, basically. The couple were officially arrested on the 28th of May in 2012 and they were formally charged with the murder of their six children on the 30th of May. The police found a petrol can and a glove close to the house thought to have been gotten rid of by Paul Mosley. 
And when they examined the clothes of Mick and Maraid, they found that the clothes had petrol stains on them. On the 5th of November, Paul Mosley was then arrested. This was basically because Paul was in on this whole thing. And Mick wanted to keep Paul sweet, basically. So he got Maraid to do this. The charges on Mick and Maraid were later changed to manslaughter as they hadn't meant to kill the children. They were meant to set the house on fire to put the blame on Lisa so that Mick could get his kids back and then they could get a bigger house from the council. That was the plan, but clearly that didn't, you know, go the way they wanted. The trial started on the 12th of February 2013. During the trial, Maraid made the accusation that her father had abused her when she was younger, but this ended up turning out to be a lie, basically, so that the judge would feel sorry for her, because she also then went on to claim that while she was on the phone to 999, she managed to get dressed, still on the phone, she managed to run out into the garden, pick up a wrench, climb up the ladder with the phone and the wrench in her hand, pass it to Mick so that he could then smash the window to go and save the kids. She didn't do any of that because when you listen back to the conversation of her on the phone call to 999, she doesn't sound out of breath. She doesn't sound like she's putting clothes on. She literally just sounds like she's stood there. And that's what the prosecution suspected. They said that what the actual, what the couple were actually doing was just stood in the back garden waiting because all of a sudden, during the call, you can hear their voices change when they realise that they can't get back into the house to rescue the kids. And it's like this instant switch that changes and you can hear it in their voice. All of a sudden, they start panicking a bit more. And yeah, it was it was just like experts looked into the fire and the three doors to the children's bedrooms, they were all left open. So when the fire started, the the door that was downstairs, which was made out of plastic, would have created fumes. The carpet, which was man-made fibres, would have created fumes. And all of this smoke would have gone upstairs and would have gone straight into the kids' bedrooms. So the the children would have would have suffered from from smoke inhalation as well. If you knew that you couldn't save them, you know what? Just hold your hands up and say this is wrong, you know, this is what we've tried to do. But they didn't do that at all. On the 2nd of April 2013, all three, so that's Mick, Maraid and Paul Mosley, were found guilty. And on the 4th of April, Mick was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 15 years. Both Maraid and Paul were given 17 years, but they'll probably serve around about half of that. And then they'll be released on licence, which basically means they'll have a parole officer and they'll have terms of their parole. If they break any of those terms, they will just go straight back to prison and they'll have to complete the rest of their sentence. But because of the time that's passed, Maraid is actually due for release from Her Majesty's Prison Downview in Surrey within the next few weeks. So we'll see what happens there. I think... The way that the justice system works is just so unbelievable. As I said in my Shafili Ahmed episode, I think that if you take a life, your life should be spent in prison. You should have no rights, no nothing. Like, you have taken someone's life. 
you know, therefore you, you shouldn't have one. You should literally spend the rest of your life in a box and everyone should forget about you. But unfortunately, I'm, I'm not in control of the law <laughs> and people will get out after a certain amount of time. But as far as I'm concerned, they should rot because those six children have not got a choice. They can't just, you know, come back to life. So that is a story of Mick and Mairead Philpott. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to hear more, you can hit that little subscribe button and listen to my other episodes. And you can also follow me on Instagram over at Crime Tea and Me. Next week, I am going to be looking into the Hatton Garden safe robbery. And trust me, that is a good one. So keep your ears peeled for that episode. Till then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time on Crime Tea and Me. Bye. Thank you.